Welcome to the Florence Guild podcast, a collection of conversations with business and cultural leaders delivering insight into future approaches to business and life. Through conversations in an array of styles, from salon talks to lifestyle events, through to intimate facilitated lunches and dinners, Florence Guild promotes encounters, satiates curiosity, and allows insight into future approaches to business and life. Following Florence Guild conversation was recorded live at Work Club Sydney, Australia's most forward-thinking workspace. Brand is stuck in a time warp of thinking as branding or rebranding dominated by marketing, advertising models and interests. These views do not help organisations to sustainably navigate the complex relationship between what they do, how they do it and why they do it. We invited Michelle Hogan, independent thinker, advisor, author, and regular contributor for smartcompany.com to talk brand and purpose as the result of the promises we keep. So, what promises are you making and how are you keeping them? Brand with Purpose, a Florence Guild conversation with Michelle Hogan. Okay, so let's start with a definition because the way we're going to be talking about brand today is maybe a bit different than some of you are used to thinking about it. How many people here have ever read anything I've written on Smart Company? Anybody? No? Oh, one person. Excellent. So you're all, you're all um, fresh off the, off the farm, which is fantastic. So the way I define brand is brand is a result of the promises you keep. Now, the piece of that that people quite often focus on, and we're going to be spending some time on the promises piece of it today. We'll also talk about purpose, which is in the title of the talk. But the bit that people miss, and that's the really transformative piece of definition when you put it into practice, is the result. Brand is a result. It's an achievement, not a creation. Right? So that achievement is quite often either an eroding one or a continuing one. And the way that happens is via the promises that you keep, or don't. So everybody here has probably experienced working with an organisation and that organisation said they'd do something and then they didn't do it. And how you felt about them after that. And so the ongoing back and forth of making and keeping promises is actually how organisations make and keep relationships with the people who they interact with. The result of that is the brand. Now we're going to dig into this in a bit more detail, but first I want to address what I call the elephant in the room, the marketing elephant. He's a big grey pachyderm sitting in the corner. Everybody usually talks about brand with relationship to marketing. I don't. Now. I'm not saying that marketing isn't important. It certainly has a role to play. It's just no more important than anything else that the organisation does, right? It all has a role to play. Now, marketing's really useful. It's, you know, if you can't pick you out of a lineup, it's pretty hard, right? If people can't know what you stand for, that's a bit of a problem. If they don't know what you do, it doesn't do them a damn bit of good. So. I certainly see the value in marketing. I just don't elevate it to the level when it comes to brand that lots of other people do. Okay? So 
to help us along the way today and to help sort of give the, the definition a little bit more meat, I came up with a formula. And I call it the brand formula. It's not, um, with all humility, <laughs> it's not the only brand formula out there. There's plenty of others, I'm sure. Oh, thanks. Um, so Noree's going to give out these cards to everybody just as a point of reference. You can take them away. You can write notes on them. And we're going to walk through what this formula is and how you, how you use it, how it works for an organization or an individual. So the really big piece about what I'm talking about is it's no different. So there's lots of conversation out there everywhere around there's the brand and there's personal brand. And I use quotation marks because people tend to talk about it as if it's something different. To, an, to the brand an organization has. But in my world, it's not. Brand is the result of the promises you keep. End of story. They're either the promises you make as an individual to someone else, the result of that is how they think and feel about you. That's your brand. If you're an organization, the promises you make to all the different people you interact with, you keep them or you don't, how they think and feel about you is a result, that's your brand. It's no different. So this formula is kind of universal, which is helpful. So let's spend a little bit of time and work through this. And then I've got a bit of an activity I'm going to get you to do to sort of dive into it a bit and see how it works for you. So at the far end, the first element of the formula is I. So that stands for identity. So identity is the foundation of any brand result. So by identity, what do I mean? Identity is effectively, what are your purpose and what are your values? What do you care about? What's most important to you, right? What do you believe? How does that relate to the decisions and actions? Now, the second piece of this is promises. So everybody knows what a promise is, I hope. But right, how people make promises and when they make promises is a pretty big part of the way a brand result happens. And then the last piece is purpose is promises are is actually underscored or made true by experience. So experience is where you either deliver or break promises. A promise is something you intend. The experience is something you do. How do those two things come together? Do they or don't they? It's a reasonably simple equation. And this is where the eroding or continuing accomplishment happens, right? Because if I'm actually breaking promises all over the place through the experience, that's eroding the result. All you've got to do is look at what happens to organizations when they continually and sort of sometimes quite aggressively break their promises. I'm not looking at the banks at all in that. Airlines, telcos, um, you know, there's some pretty easy targets for all of that. But if you actually keep the promises, if the experience actually makes them true, if it delivers on them, okay, now you've got something that's, now you've got a continuing achievement. Now you've got something that's growing, that's getting stronger, that's becoming more robust that people can actually have confidence in, that they can count on. So the result of that is brand. And that's the last piece. So this is the brand formula. Now, 
there's a really there's a reason it's quite simple, even though there's nothing simple about doing this, by the way. <laughs> it's a lot of work. There's a really good reason why I don't include things like essence and personality and all of the usual suspect taxonomies that agencies pile onto brand. Now, I don't know about you, but I've worked with a lot of organisations for a lot of years. And when I look at the diagram of what they're supposed to try and remember and do to, to achieve or to have a so-called brand, it, makes, it gives me heartburn. I don't even know how it makes them feel, right? So you've got purpose, you've got mission, you've got vision, you've got promise. And then underneath that, you've got brand promise. Oh, sorry, I forgot values and then brand values and now personality and on and on. It's impossible. No one can do it all and you actually don't need it. All it does is create confusion. So I was looking at organisations and how can, we, how can we give them something that's simpler? It's actually something that anyone in the business, I don't care whether you're in marketing, tech, finance, back office, out in the warehouse, where they can find themselves in the formula and figure out what it means to them and how they do what they do. So I'm going to work through each of these really quickly. Um, and if you have questions along the way, I don't know how you'd prefer to do it. I don't mind either way. I'm happy to either ask questions as we go along or actually have you um, hold them to the end and then just dive in. It's totally up to you. Okay, so it won't, won't throw me off if you've got curly questions. Um, so I'm going to start with the purpose and values piece. Everybody knows what purpose and values is, right? <laughs> you must be under a rock if you haven't heard that it's the most important thing to the organisation. Everyone's got to have a purpose. It's the new black. I kind of call it the tyranny of purpose because it's somehow this idea that organisations have never had a purpose. This is a new thing. All of a sudden, organisations have purpose. It's news to, I think, every organisation that's been around for 100 years. You're trying to tell me that GE didn't have a purpose, that IBM didn't have a purpose? It's rubbish. And to go along with it, there's this idea that somehow, somehow a purposeful business is a good business. Purpose has a smear, right? It's, it's got this sense that somehow it's like authentic, has become this word that means I'm somehow good or better. All it means is real. All purpose means is you have something you're focused on. You have a direction. It makes no assessment of what that direction is. The line I like to use is businesses have always had a purpose. I think a lot of people just don't like the purpose, right? Banks have a purpose, we just don't particularly like the purpose. So if we can get rid of that tyranny and just understand purpose for what it is, it makes it easier to actually put it into action. You get rid of this judgment that's attached to it, this schoolyard bully mentality that somehow I've got to have a good purpose, I've got to have a better purpose, I've got to have the right purpose, or I'm a bad company. All purpose is is why are we here? Although, I don't think organisations should start with why. I've actually never met an organisation that started with why, really. We pretty much start with what. <laughs> we start doing stuff, we figure out, 
get a sense, does that really work? Is it something we actually care about? Can we keep doing it? And over time, it clarifies. And this is actually true for just about every large organization you can poke a stick at and nearly every small organization I've ever worked with. Apple didn't start with a purpose, much contrary to sort of the mythology around it, right? Steve and Steve had this great idea and they went to a computer store and the guy said, ah, you know, yeah, sure, I get the circuit board thing, but if you actually make the computers, I'll sell a thousand of them for you. An Apple computer was born. They were kind of broke at the time and that had a little bit to do with it as well. But you know, IBM called themselves international business machines because they didn't really know what they were going to make. <laughs> they knew they kind of liked machines and playing around with them, but it took them a while to figure out what was what. Patagonia was around for 15 years, might even be longer, before they actually came to grips with what they truly cared about. It takes time to clarify purpose. So this idea that someone can step out, this is my purpose and away we go, you know, let's see how it, let's see how it goes in the marketplace for a little while. Okay? Let's see how it goes in the rough and tumble of the everyday. Then, yeah, it'll solidify and it becomes a great and really important driver of who the organisation is and what it cares about. Values are a bit the same. Now, one of the things I, when I say don't start with why, sorry, I'll just finish that thought first, right, is because while why is what you're trying to understand, it's an awful question to get you there. I, I don't know how all of you feel, but when somebody says to me, so why did you do that? My first response is to step back. I don't step into that question. It makes me feel a little bit like I'm having somebody beat me over the head with a stick and that I did something wrong. So how can you get to purpose without the why question? There's lots of really great questions. There's two that I suggest people use all the time. So the first one is, what's most important to us? And the really, the, the key word in there is most, because there'll be lots and lots of stuff that's important, heaps of it. And you make the big long list, and then you keep asking the question, what's most important? And that'll start to get you to that, that point of clarity. The other question, if the important thing sets you off and doesn't quite work in your organization or your part of the world, is what do we care about? What do we care about around here? People don't have really too much trouble talking about what they care about and why they care about it. So it's another great way to hack into that. So once you've done that, dig into it, spend some time on it, delve a bit deeper. Don't get hung up on wordsmithing before you understand what it means. <laughs> spend some time understanding what the language that you're using actually does mean. I've lost count of the number of orgs I've gone into and they had their purpose statement. And I asked them, so tell me, what is that? What do you mean by that statement, by that word? Well, everyone knows what that means. And if I walked around the office of the organization and asked 10 people what they thought that word meant, I guarantee you I would get 10 different answers. If you don't know what it means, you can't use it actively in making decisions. Okay. So then moving beyond purpose, you get into the values piece of identity, which is the other key foundation because values are how we do things around here. Right? It's the 
It's the underlay of culture. It's kind of the glue. And values a bit like purpose. They're a bit, um, what's, what's a great way to talk about it? They like to hide from you. We like to tell ourselves stories about values. Who's come across the top 10 list? Can you list them for me? Honesty, integrity, trust, teamwork, fun. Keep going down the list. Call up the value statements of most large organizations and you'll see that list. Respect, that's another big one. But when you actually go into those organizations and you look at how people do things around there, that stuff's absent. It's not even close. So if we tell our stories, if we're really keen on telling ourselves stories about values, how do we get to them? How can we understand what they actually are? And again, questions show us the way. My favorite questions for hacking values is, when don't people work out around here? Because fundamentally, while people usually get hired for what they can do, they nearly always get fired for who they are or they leave usually running screaming, ejected by the other chimps when they don't fit in. So how do you get to that, right? You dig underneath it and you look at why did they leave? Why did they leave? What wasn't working? I did this with a company, you know, one of my clients years ago, and it was, it was classic because they had their top 10 list for sure. And when we dug into what the values were, one of them was, you know, you've got to be okay with being the butt of a joke. This was absolutely foundational to their culture. You couldn't fit in around there if you weren't okay with that. It was how they showed their love, right? It was such a weird value and the head of HR was classic because he said to me, so how on earth do I hire for that? Like how do I test that? And my almost serious question was put a whoopee cushion on the chair in the interview. You'll find out really quickly if they can take a joke. Now, I'm not sure how sort of that would go over in fair work, but even so, right, you've just got to be a bit creative. And once you understand why people don't work out, you can start to do that work. And when you have a set of values, you know, one of my favorite values sets, Atlassian has a terrific, you know, well, they've got, become a bit PC now because they're publicly traded and they can't actually say what they always said. But in the beginning, hopefully no one here is sensitive, but was, their, one of their initial values was don't fuck the customer. Basically, now, now it's don't F asterisk at symbol hashtag the customer. <laughs> They're publicly traded, the sentiment's still there, right? Understand why people don't work out around here and you'll have a really running leap on values, right? So purpose and values together are the identity. They're the foundation, the identity of the organization. They express what you stand for, how you do stuff. And you can't have a strong brand without them. You just can't. And actually, I don't even typically use the word strong. You can't achieve a robust, resilient brand without them. So the second piece of promises, jumping into that. Everyone here knows what a promise is. I'm not going to belabor that. Though it's important to think about that a promise is always future, as I said. It is what you intend, D, intend. It's, we're going to do something. 
Identity is intention, it's our attitude. It's what we care about and we'll bring that to what we intend if you do it right. So how and when you make promises is actually really important. Too many organisations make promises and figure out later how they're going to keep them. It's a really bad strategy. And it's the reason why so many promises get broken. Right? So if you think about, you've got, to, you've got to really actually think about the promise you're going to make before you make it. <laughs> figure out what you intend. Do I have the stuff that I need to keep this promise? Do I understand the risk? If I keep it or if I don't keep it? Do I understand the reward if I keep it? Both for me and for the person who I'm promising. What are we trading when we make this promise? Okay. Do I have the resources to keep it? <laughs> the big one, right? Do I have the people? Do those people have the capabilities? You know, do we have the skills? Do we have the dollars? Do we have the locations? Do we have the machinery? Do we have the on and on and on? Culture is an aspect of promises. Do we have the mindset as a company to be able to keep this promise that we're going to make? And when I use promise, people, as I said, they leap to this idea of this big thing that everyone's been sort of conditioned to think about called a brand promise. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about all the promises the organisation makes. From, I think I used, uh, we were talking earlier about this and I used one from Work Club. Yeah. You can come here 24-7 is a promise. As an organisation, do we have the locations, the, the security, the passes, everything in place that we need to make that promise so that people can? All the way down to, I'll get that to you tomorrow. I'll have that report for you tomorrow. That's a promise as well. I'm not just talking about the promises you make to customers. I'm talking about the promises you make to all your stakeholders. Customers, employees, investors, suppliers, partners. If you're leaving some out of the mix, then you're not thinking about your promises with the right level of rigor. And you're probably breaking more than a few. Okay. So once you've actually decided once you've thought about what do we stand for, you've brought that into what do we intend to do and applied the right level of thinking around it, then you get to the last piece of the equation, which is experience. Now, everybody's jumping all over experience these days. I can barely listen to a CEO talk where he doesn't start like stuttering customer experience like somebody's poking him with a cattle prod. And employee experience is kind of the new one as well, right? Um, all the customer experience guys have tapped out of things and they've all turned around and decided they're going to tackle employee experience now, which is great. But as I said, I'm talking about all the experience of the people who interact with the organisation. Perhaps we should call it human experience or people's experience. That's not to say that customers' employees aren't important because they are. This stuff isn't buckets, it's a loop. It's all interrelated. And that's where a lot of the experience stuff goes awry is because if I'm working in an organisation and I don't know why what I'm doing matters, right, and I, throw, and I then throw that out onto the customer, what do you think the chances are that the customer's experience is going to be any good? 
Not great, right? Move it down the level. So the customers are going to say bad stuff. <laughs> They're going to go on Twitter and on Facebook and post all sorts of mean things about that customer service person or that experience that I had, which just makes the employees feel worse. And you're in a loop that goes nowhere good. I call it the doom loop. <laughs> goes down the gurgler in a heartbeat. Or you can go the other way. Employees know what they're doing. They know why it matters. They got it. It's really connected. They, they think it's important. That translates to a great experience for the customer, right? The customer says nice stuff about the company and says nice things about the employees. They feel good and off it goes. And you're in a boon loop. Throw all the other stakeholders in the mix and you start to see how the landscape gets really complicated. There's so little, I've, I've done my fair share of experience mapping and experience design work. And I don't know how many times in those sessions, right, this relationship between who are we as an organization, what we care about, what can we actually promise, and what is the experience we're trying to deliver are not connected up in the process. And unless you do that, there's not a design thinking session alive that will save you. Sorry, can you just say that again, please? Yeah, sure. Can you just repeat those two points again? Of course. So, unless in, in experience design, if you're in experience design sessions and you're not actively considering what do we stand for, what do we care about, what's important to us, right? What are the things, what do we intend? What are the promises we can make and keep, right? And how do those play into the experience we will deliver? Right? That's, that's the chain. This isn't an aspirational, let's throw a bunch of stuff at the wall and hope we can figure out how to do it. That's a really bad way to deliver experience. <laughs> so when you're thinking about, like, I don't want to make it, again, I don't want to make it seem like Oh, experience doesn't matter because it is. It's actually where promises get kept. So it's incredibly important. But you've got to connect it up. That's why it's here. You've got to connect it up. Experience is where people, and the, de the detail of experience is where people actually, you know, form their relationships. It's really rare that somebody says, oh, I don't like that company because, you know, they had this really bad strategy for going global. Nobody says that. What they say is, oh, I really, I hate that company because every time I try and buy something from them, it's out of stock. The detail is where we interact. That's the front line. But all of the stuff that goes behind that there's a myriad of actions and decisions that sits behind that all the way back to what we care about. So now we've got identity, we've got promises, we've got experience. I just talked about the detail and I have a way that I talk about the detail. And it's, a, it's, a, it's actually the title of a book that I'm putting out in, a, in about a month or so. It's called The Unheroic Work. Okay, or it will be called that. <laughs> what I mean by the unheroic work, does anyone not get a sense of what that means for an organization, right? It's the day-to-day -day stuff 
It's the everyday stuff. It's not the huge big program, the massive campaign, the big announcement, the, mass, the launch. The, that's the heroic stuff. Then everybody goes, woohoo. And then they go back to their desk and they answer phones and they enter data, <laughs> right? They place an order. They do the unheroic work. But it's the unheroic work where things get done. It's the unheroic work that makes sure that there's stock on the shelves when you want to go and buy something. Right? It's the unheroic work that actually delivers brand. It's the what and the how that nobody talks about. It's the boring little stuff that people, oh, it's just not sexy enough. But unless someone in the organization understands how that everyday boring stuff connects all the way back to what we care about. There's little to no chance that you're going to have a brand that's a continuing accomplishment, right? It's just not there. There's a story, I'd say probably half of you have heard it. Lots of people tell it as a NASA story. I tell it as the FedEx story because that's how I first heard it. So there's a guy, he's in at FedEx, he's a consultant, he's doing some work. He goes down to the dock and he's talking to the janitor. And he says to the janitor, so tell me about your work. What are you doing? He said, I'm delivering packages overnight. And the guy looked at him and he said, what do you mean? You're the janitor. And he said, yeah, but if I don't keep the dock tidy, the trucks can't come in. If the trucks can't come in, they can't unload and load. If they can't load and unload, they can't go out and the packages don't get to customers overnight. That's the unheroic stuff in action. That's an organization that's actually made sure that the person understands what they care about and how what they do connects to it. And I, I can tell you, it is so rare that I walk into an organization and walk up to somebody and say, so tell me what you do and tell me how that connects to what you care about. Because to do that, you've got to be able to make it tangible. You've got to be able to make it concrete. All the way back to, if you don't know what you mean by the words you're using, there's no chance you'll be able to do that. Patagonia is a favorite example of mine for companies. One of the reasons is it's one of the few organizations that actually does pretty much walk its talk top to bottom. I, I can't find many chinks in their armor. Start with the fact that they have a wonderful single mission statement that guides everything they do, that they've actually interrogated at a really deep level so that they can use the tension that sits within it to drive their actions and decisions. But early on, Avon Chouinard was talking to their head designer and he realized that they had a very different definition of quality. <laughs> right? Her definition of quality, of something that was best quality, was the finest Italian cotton, right? Just refined and gorgeous. His definition was something you can throw in the washing machine, it's dry in half an hour, and you can do that 100 times and it still looks good. Really different definitions of quality. So as an organization, they got together, they figured out, they've got a 15-point checklist of what quality means. So any product that they make, has to tick off that list. And it's, you know, it's 
really specific. Encourage you to go. I think it's actually even on their website. Um, they have a whole section around product. And underneath that, I think they've got essentially what those, what those criteria are. But it's so rare that I go into an organization and they've done that work. Because <laughs> then everybody knows. So I'm going to put you all to work now, unless you, want, unless you want to pepper me with questions first. If you don't, then I'll put you to work and we'll get into a conversation. You've been very patient listening to me ramble on. Thanks so much, everyone. Explore the Florence Guild podcast with the best talent from Australia and across the world. You can subscribe and rate this podcast on iTunes. For more information on Florence Guild, visit florenceguild.com.